Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or on occasion, a sermon from another Wells sister church. If you enjoy what you've heard today, you might also enjoy our weekday devotions, which you will automatically get if you subscribe to this podcast. Additionally, you might consider sharing with a friend. Each and every podcast has a share link in its description, which can be found in the same podcast app that you're listening to right now. I've tried to make the link obvious. Let me know if it isn't at john.kirk at stmarksbemidji.org. Share it because it's studying the Word of God, and faith in Jesus and His perfect life, death, and resurrection comes by hearing the Word. And salvation comes to us by faith in Jesus alone. Why would you not tell everyone? Today's sermon is titled, Earthly Story, Heavenly Meaning, and is based on Luke chapter 16, verse 1-3. through Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Nine hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred and fifty. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. The master commanded the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now let's join Pastor Zamzow for this week's sermon. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Master Teacher, who teaches us challenging and difficult truths, amen. The Lord used many parables to teach his disciples. He used many parables to rebuke Pharisees. He used many parables to point to a better way of life for the believer. He he used parables to... Bring people to him. God's people love parables. Christians love parables. Why? Because they stick. And by and large, they're fairly easy to remember. 
They are indeed the words of the master teacher. I mean, I can just list a few. I can say Good Samaritan. Prodigal son. Lost coin. And you know what I'm talking about. You have the parable stuck there in your mind. They're fictitious stories. They're totally and completely made up. But Jesus uses these real-life scenarios, even though He lived 2,000 years ago, He uses these real-life scenarios to teach things, to drive home a point that even we, 2,000-some-odd years later, can still associate with. And when we were growing up, what did we all learn that parables were? An earthly story with a an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Notice that there's no S. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Not meanings. Every single one of Jesus' parables has a heart and a core. Every, part of Jesus, every one of Jesus' parables has one main point that it drives home. That He wants to deliver to His hearers. I, I think so oftentimes, um, and I don't know, maybe we learn this from a, a, an early age, and sometimes this is possible, but we oftentimes want to take Jesus' parables and play the lineup game, don't we? The who's the what in the parable. Which one's God? Which one's me? Sometimes that works. Sometimes that might even be encouraged. But one size doesn't necessarily fit all. And that sort of thing is not exactly a fail-safe way to interpret a parable. No, we rather look for the one single main point that that parable has to drive home. Otherwise, we could end up with a whole bunch of different possible meanings or a whole bunch of different uh, possible interpretations when there only is but one. Now, point in case is the one in front of us today. This might be, this parable of the shrewd manager might be the toughest parable that Jesus taught. Or maybe it, it wasn't for them, but maybe for us 2,000 some odd years later, it's difficult for us because we're reading it off the page we're kind of taken out of the situation and the immediate surroundings of what's going on. You know, the feel of the room, so to speak, isn't there. So we have to take a, look, a critical look at what Jesus says. We have this tough parable. It's an earthy story. It's an earthy story. One that's full of some difficult things to wrap our minds around as believers. It's a tough one, but... That's a big part of my job here, <laughs> is to take, take a look at this Word of God, to read it, and then to deliver it to God's people, the children of the light, in a way that hopefully makes some sense. As I said, this is a tough and a challenging parable, maybe the toughest one that a guy will preach on in his entire ministry. I took a look back when I was preparing for this week. I took a look back at an old sermon and I read through it and I was like, 
Nope. And I really, really, really had a hard time with this. I reached out to, to friends and colleagues uh, and spent, spent a fair amount of time in taking a look at this. And maybe that's why I'm beginning the sermon this way today. With a little explanation of how to treat parables. Because the first and foremost point is that you look for that one main point, but there's something else to take in mind too. And I guess before we go any farther, I want to say this and just clarify this from the get-go. I never want you to walk into church and not hear that Jesus Christ is your Savior from sin, death, and the power of the devil. He is. He most definitely is. Without question. There, I just said it. But Jesus' parables, if you look at them, they often do two things. They have one main point, and oftentimes they will take us Take, for example, the Pharisee and the, uh, the, the, the tax collector in the temple. Do you recall that parable? What's the one main point of that parable? The one main point is simple enough. Turn to Jesus in repentance, in true repentance, right? So sometimes a parable will take us by the hand and it will lead us to the feet of our Savior Jesus. Other times... If you notice the first line in this parable, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's addressing his disciples here, his people. And sometimes Jesus' parables take us from the feet of the Lord and they point us out. They point us outward and show us how to have life and have it to the full. How to live a life of increased faith and hope, and love for God, and for our fellow man. And that's what we got before us this morning in this earthy story with a heavenly meaning. We read this account and we think, wait a minute. What is going on here? You got this guy who was lying, cheating, stealing, covering up his bookwork, making himself look better. And his master commends him? I don't get it. Well, I'm convinced that if we read, we find the one main point, find the one main point of this parable, which is what? It's in verse 9, if you want to look at it in your service folder. It's in verse 9. I'm convinced that you could read verse 9 and reread the parable in its entirety, and everything would fall right into place. And I could stop preaching right now. But I have a few minutes yet, so I'm not going to do that. Um, let's recap briefly. This manager's been cheating and stealing from his Lord. He's been spending money that's not his to begin with. He's accused by his peers, and he's caught. The master comes to him and says, Your time is short, bud. You're on a short leash. Give an account for what you did. And what does this guy do? Instead of going back and getting all the bookwork together, instead of going back and saying, well, I can prove my innocence, no, he continues to go on doing what he's been doing all along. He continues to be dishonest. But this time he's got a little bit of a different angle on it. He slashes prices. And he cuts deals. Why? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. 
I know I'm getting fired. That much is a given. So while I still got my influence, and that's key, while I still have time, I need to make some friends for myself. I need to make, my, make friends for myself so that when I am fired, I have somewhere to go. This guy's got an eye on the future. He's looking ahead to what's next. He knows his time under his current employer is short, but he's being proactive. Why would the sinless Son of God, Jesus our Savior, use this earthy story about a sinful man in a bad situation to make this point? Well, for one thing, you'll remember it. He uses sinful activity as an illustration. And I can say the parable of the shrewd manager, and right along with all the others, you'll remember it. Jesus uses the sinful world in spite of itself. And so it makes a parable a parable. This one, like any other, stick in your mind. The other thing that Jesus is driving home with this parable and the reason why he uses this sinful activity is this. He's essentially saying to his disciples and to us 2,000 years later, look at the world around you. Look at the world around you. Look at how the people that are in darkness live. They know how to do this. Namely, they know how to plan ahead. They know how to set up for the future. They know how to make friends for themselves so that they might continue to live comfortably even into their later retirement years. We know how to, they know how to make friends and to set up for the future in this life. It's pretty obvious. I mean, we all know somebody who's done this, Right? Cut a few deals, perhaps under the table, so that they appear more favorable or more, or more likable, or so that your business gets a better rap. I mean, hey, we're children of God, and we all know how this works too. It happens all the time in the home. We do it every single day in our house, right? I'm going to do this chore, or get this other thing done, or pick this, that, or that, this, that, or the other thing up. Why? Well, so that life just goes a little bit more smoothly around here. That's how our minds work. But the idea here is simply this. This isn't permanent. The time is short. That's why I said remember that. That, that shrewd manager knew that he was on borrowed time. He knew there was only a certain amount of time until he got fired. And so it is with us. This place right now is not permanent. The home that you are living in right now is probably not permanent, even by earthly standards. You'll most likely at some point have to move on or move out. Your family size increases. You might need to get more space. Or if you're older, you might be looking to downsize to live in a rental but we're not just talking about earthly dwellings. We're not just talking about earthly goods in this parable. 
This is an earthly story, yes, but it has a heavenly meaning. And we are talking about eternity here. And not just our, for ourselves, but to think about the big picture. To think about the grand scheme of things. There is an eternity out there. And it's not just for me or for you. There's an eternity of either eternal bliss and joy in heaven or an eternity of damnation in hell. And we're all going that way. We're all moving that way, one way or the other. This world isn't permanent. And eventually, through sickness or disaster or time, we will all come to know that eternity. We all live in this world. We're all the time we spend working and striving and thriving, and we're constantly told time and time and time again, you got to plan ahead. you got to plan ahead. you got to plan ahead. Look ahead to your retirement. Be saving. Spend frugally. Uh, make sure that you're set up and that you're living comfortable. And you probably know where I'm going with this, but the devil is the God, the Lord of half-truths. So Jesus in this parable is saying, look at the world. You see how the world that lives in darkness understands how to be shrewd, to cut deals, to make friends, to set up for themselves, even just in the here and now. So they do a better job of that in the here and now than the people of light do looking ahead to eternity. If our job, if our lives are bent in the here and the now and just simply planning for something like retirement, where what? You'll live for 20 years? Maybe? 30, if you're lucky? Hopefully there's a significant portion of that uh, retirement time where you're active and not racked with health problems or difficulties or hospital stays. Yeah, if we're looking to plan for our retirement years and that really kind of amounts to it, then our planning is way too short. The world that we are living in, our society has it so that we're all left thinking that the essential meaning of life is to plan for an earthly retirement. Now you see ads for this stuff on the TV all the time. And if that's it, then we're in for a rude awakening. And so are a lot of other people. Children of God plan shrewdly. Children of God plan for eternity. How does Jesus say to do this? He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Live for the kingdom. Live for the kingdom. Earthly wealth, heavenly glory, earthly story, Heavenly meaning. Being redeemed and restored and forgiven by the blood of Christ Jesus, we are. That is not something that is on the back burner of who we are in life. As Christians, the fact that we are redeemed and restored and forgiven and saved from sin, death, and the power of the devil is not something that exists on the periphery frame of who we are. 
It's the painting. It's the self-portrait. Underneath that says, I'm a Christian. The fact that we are children of God is at the heart and core of who we are. It's something that is to be known by all who are in our lives as well. All those who are in the same boat that we are in. Hey, and maybe it's us where the planning looks ahead so far as uh, to living life in, in the easy street in the twilight years. But that's not the definition of lasting. That's not the definition of eternity. Lasting means looking ahead to eternity in and of itself. That we use the time. That we use the talents. That we use the energy and the treasures not as an end in and of themselves, but that we see everything that we have in life as a means to an end to make friends for Christ so that we might be together with them for eternity. Picture Jesus here. As He tells this parable, how old is He? 33-ish. Within sight of a couple of months, He's going to die. And He's going to die for you. And He looks at His disciples in those last days and He calls them friends. He calls them friends. He says, I'm going to lay down My life for you. Cash money is something Jesus didn't have, but what He did have was far greater. His holy, precious blood, His innocent and holy life, every dime spent, every minute spent, was done so in a God-pleasing way. And what does He do with it? He cashes it all in for us. His friends. Why? so that we might be together with Him for eternity. And Christians love the peace and the, and the joy and the hope that that message brings. Christians love what Christ has done. So here with this parable, Jesus is showing us that the way that we use our money, our time, our treasures, Lose yourself. Another way of saying it is lose yourself, if you will, in using your time, I don't know, in the hunting stand with a friend. Use your time that, or the opportunity that you have at work or in the workplace as an employer or an employee. Use your golf club membership, your pontoon boat, your musical talent, your car, your home, your swimming pool, your business, your gym membership. Who cares what it is? Use it. Use it to gain friends for Christ. Use it to live as a part of living in the kingdom. That's living with a purpose. That's living with an eye on the future. Not the immediate future, but eternity. That's looking and planning ahead. So often our eyes get drawn down and say, yep, what do I got? 70, 80 years, I'm done? No, you do not. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are on borrowed time, sure. We're getting fired, 
sure. What are we going to do until then? What are we going to do until then? Use our time wisely. Use our talents wisely. Our treasures wisely to gain friends for Christ Jesus so that when we, when we wake up in 500 years, we can say good morning to that person. This parable sticks like any other. And Jesus says, I know that there's a lot of people out there in the world who don't even know that there's a heaven who are a lot smarter than my own people who know how to make friends for themselves in the here and now. They do it all the time. But you, children of God, children of the light, we so often we don't play the long game. We don't live in view of the eternity that is surely ours and the joy and the hope of salvation that we truly have. So, friends in Christ, may it be that this parable sticks. May we see this parable not so much as confusing anymore, but that we go out from the feet of our Savior Jesus and see how to have life and have it to the full. That we don't just wink and move on with our lives and don't necessarily change our thinking about the way we use our time and our talents and our treasures. But rather that we adjust our thinking in those terms. And we use those blessings that we have from God to gain friends for Christ. Let this earthy story with the heavenly meaning be just that. And direct our eyes off of this earth and onto eternity. Amen. That's all there is for today, but we are so happy you took a few moments out of your busy day to listen to God's Word with us. Please consider subscribing to our podcast to hear more devotions like this, Monday through Friday, and to hear our Sunday sermons as well. We also cordially invite you to join us for church every week, at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website at www.stmarksbemidji.org.